Well, my friend Jess and I had a way of just running into each other. One time I was camping out in the mountains in Colorado and I was passing through a small mountain town and suddenly out of nowhere I heard my name being called and there my friend from college was. Just happenstance kind of came across each other. Probably about a year after that or so, uh, we ran into each other at the town that we went into college, that we went to college to, which wasn't as surprising, but the story kind of ended up in a twist anyways. We ran into each other at the coffee house, and, and it wasn't the normal Jess that I was used to because this uh, white girl from North Dakota had her hair in dreadlocks, and she was serving in a ministry in San Diego serving the homeless there. So she gave me the opportunity as we sat down to learn a little bit more about the work that she was doing. Every morning, she and her team would get up, go to one of the homeless camps, put out a table, start making pancakes, and and just befriending people who were living there, making connections, learning their stories, loving on them. It was really fun to hear about some of the people that she had met and connected with and the people that she had blessed, people that were struggling with addiction and had hopes for a better life, hopes for something more, aspirations for something better. Uh, Not all of the stories ended up well, but there was so much promise in the work that Jess was doing. And after she shared her story, I was just, I was really touched and I was compelled. I reached into my pocket book, I pocket and I grabbed my checkbook. Remember checkbooks? They used to be a thing. I pulled it out and, and I wrote her a check for $50 because I wanted to be a part of the work that God was doing through her in San Diego. And, and we parted ways. As I was leaving the parking lot, it just struck me. Do I have $50 in my account? <laughs> now, I was usually pretty good with money, but I was in my final year of seminary, and uh, I didn't have a lot of money. So I had to watch every dollar, and, and I, I caught myself. So I, I brought out my checkbook. I looked at the, uh, I looked at the numbers, and, and I only had about a couple bucks there. So I paused for a minute, and I thought, well, no big deal. I'll just call her and tell her to hold on to that check for a little bit. But then I realized I didn't have her number. And I wasn't even sure if she had a number. So I took a big breath and said, well, okay. Okay. Well, if this is your first time joining us today, we are in our sermon series called Seeds of Grace. And last week, Pastor Brian uh, kicked off our message at Grace Chapel by inviting us to see how giving even just a little bit uh, can make a big impact and can change, it can change lives. Uh, Chances are you like the idea of giving and supporting organizations or supporting people you love, but the idea of giving is sometimes a lot easier than the actual act of giving, isn't it? And I thought of a few reasons for this. First of all, giving can involve risk. Giving can involve risk, especially when you only have 
about $50 and you're not sure whether you're going to need that $50 in the next week or so. Giving can recall past hurt, especially when we've given to organizations or people who haven't borne the fruit that we were hoping for and expected or who even possibly bore negative fruit, which, which leads us into a third reason that giving can be get difficult, that generosity can be difficult. Generosity can be difficult because of a lack of trust, especially in institutions. And churches aren't free from this, are they? Churches aren't free from this. There are many churches that have used manipulative tactics to try to raise money and raise support. And and they have done so with ill will or done so with false promises that if you give a little bit, then it's going to be returned to you financially tenfold. It's not just the financial abuse that has occurred in the, the church world. It is, it's often the, the failure of, of leadership morally or, as we're learning more about, just an abusive subculture in leadership. That makes it hard to, to give to churches uh, when, when we have past hurt or a lack of tr- institutional trust that has often found its way into churches. So the third reason is a lack of trust. Well, the fourth reason, a lack of resources, that's uh, another reason that's similar to risk. A fear of the future, that, that, that can relate as well. Uh, some of us desire to give now, but the, the impact of inflation, uh, the uncertainty of the economy, uh, these are things that make us wonder if we shouldn't save for the future or save for a better quality of life in the future instead of making a contribution in the present. Lastly, something else that's related to all this is we're, we're sometimes hesitant to give because we want to maintain a certain quality of life. We want to maintain a certain quality of life. Now, our comfort's bad. Now, truthfully, there's a part of me that wishes I could just rid myself of all of the comforts in my life so that I could focus more on the other things. And maybe you sometimes feel that way as well. But God calls himself in the Bible the God of comfort. So comfort in and of itself isn't a bad thing. And when we're struggling with the stresses of life, comforts can bring relief. They can help us to endure. So personal comfort isn't a a bad thing at all. Um, and yet, and yet the uh, the demands of uh, the the comforts of modern life are greater than ancient people could imagine, and yet the demands and the stresses are that we experience in modern life are great. We're not out there trying to chop wood anymore, but well, some some of us are. We don't do that as much. We don't rely on it as much. At the same time, we're there trying to fix the heater when it's broken. Or we're paying gas bills and we're paying propane bills all the way. So because of comforts and because of a desire to maintain a life that is a quality life, we are often hesitant to make contributions financially. Well, there's, a lots, there's lots of reasons that generosity can be difficult. There are also at least a couple reasons to 
talking about generosity can be difficult also. I don't know many pastors who circle giving Sunday on their calendar and put hearts and stars next to it. And that's because deep down, pastors and anybody who has to speak about generosity, they can be, they can be afraid of talking about giving and generosity, especially the financial kind, because they're afraid of how they might be perceived. They're afraid that they might be weighing into a very manipulative conversation and the fear and the pressure of being received wrongly is, is something that's always near. Uh, secondly, and this is this one was probably this reason was probably more near to me as a as a young pastor. Uh, another reason is that talking about giving can threaten to take away someone's personal autonomy. It can infringe on their freedom. As a young pastor, this is something that 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 I was more afraid of speaking into because I didn't want people to feel pushed to give. I didn't want them to feel guilted into giving and that's not something that we do here at christ church even so just talking about giving can make people feel guilty make people feel less and it can it could motivate them to to give for all of the wrong reasons and and that's something that i didn't ever want to do it's something that i've been hesitant about for some time but If giving is something that is good for the soul, whose freedom am I really preserving by not talking about giving? Whose freedom am I really preserving? Yes, there's a lot of reasons that giving can be hard. There are also reasons why giving is good anyways. There is joy in giving. There's purpose in giving. We can make an impact and we can extend our own impact. God loves people who freely and sincerely give. We can make a long list and we can add to all the reasons. But today I want to talk about something that, a word that we don't normally associate with giving. A strange word, but I think it's a word that just happens to fit really well with it. And that's the word that I want to chew on with you. And that word is adventure. Adventure. As strange as it sounds, could generosity offer us a new experience? Could it open up a kind of divine life some have been missing? Spoiler alert, I think it can. But how? How? In the face of scarcity, the need for comfort, our fears about the future in difficult times, how can generosity be an adventure to enjoy? That's the question that I want to explore with you today. And it turns out that we aren't the first people to ask this kind of question. Back in the days of the Apostle Paul, one of his very first churches to spring up from his missionary efforts found themselves being challenged with an opportunity to to stretch their generosity. Now the church at Corinth, it, it likely wasn't poor. They were probably filled with artisans and craftsmen. They, they weren't necessarily filled with either side of the extreme. 
That wasn't the case for the church in Jerusalem at the time. A famine was raging throughout Israel. So Paul had it on his heart to start a collection throughout all of the known churches in the world and the churches that he ministered to, uh, to over time put aside enough to help provide for the needs of the people who were suffering in Jerusalem, for the church that was suffering in Jerusalem. But, but there was a problem. Things between Paul and the church at Corinth, well, they were kind of rocky. Their relationship, well, it wasn't, it wasn't well. And one of the first letters that we have from Paul to the church of, the, church of the Corinthians, we learn that uh, they were doing some things that Paul kind of considered unspeakable. And they were supporting some activities that Paul found to be unspeakable. Now, we've, we learn from the letters of Corinthians, from which we have too, that there, were, that there was other correspondence between Paul and the Corinthians. And sometimes some of Paul's words were, well, let me put it this way. The Corinthians didn't think that Paul minced words. He was pretty direct. He was pretty forward about their activity and the kind of activity that they were supporting. So things were a little bit difficult. Things were almost maybe borderline hostile between Paul and this church that he founded. And he had great hopes for the Corinthians, and he wasn't able to visit them. So he sent, he sent one of his representatives by the name of Titus to go to Corinth and to see what was happening. How were people responding? Was there any change? And Paul was grateful to find out that the people had res- not only responded to Paul's letters eventually, in a really positive way, they started to change their course and they were returning to God. So the last letter that we have from Paul to the Corinthians is a letter that is filled with encouragement, comfort, and great hope. But Paul didn't want to waste an opportunity. The collection to Jerusalem had started in Corinthians. We learn this at the end of the first letter to Corinthians. Paul had encouraged the people to set aside a little bit at the end of every week so that eventually Paul could come and take that collection and bring it and bless the people at Jerusalem. Well, that collection and that collecting effort had stopped. But Paul was so impressed and blessed By the giving of other churches in Macedonia at the time, he couldn't help but try to take the opportunity to encourage the Corinthians to start taking up this collection again. And that's where we find ourselves. In the second letter to Corinthians in chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to start at verse 1 and go through verse 15. First, second Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 1 through 15. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace. 
on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. And really for the rest of this message, I really want to focus on those first few verses that, um, that deal with the, the blessing of the churches of the Macedonians. But I want to cover a few principles first before we do so, so we kind of capture some of the whole of the passage. And I have about five observations on generosity. Uh, first of all, generosity is not just grace to the recipients. Generosity is grace to the givers, too. Giving is a gift to those who give. Second, Paul acknowledges that the church in Corinth in Corinth, uh, was rich in gifts such as faith, speech, and knowledge. Harkening back to 1 Corinthians, where we find chapters on the spiritual gifts, and in the middle of that, in the middle of those chapters, we find this this call to to be be loving. Uh, but genuine love, uh, but genuine love is proven by sincere giving, or sincere giving proves genuine love. Third, Jesus demonstrates this in his incarnation. He became poor so that we could become rich. Jesus showed love in his coming. He showed sincere love and he showed, demonstrated sincere giving in his coming. Fourth, uh, the gift was not acceptable by what one didn't have. It was acceptable by what one did have. So Paul invited people to give within their means. Fifth, and lastly, Paul's heart was for equality. This doesn't mean sameness. Wealth existed in the church, but dire poverty didn't exist within the church that was healthy because needs were met by those who had. 
Now, perhaps these aren't new ideas to you. If you've been attending church for some time, chances are you've heard some of these ideas. And even if you haven't been attending church for a great deal of time in your life or you're new to church, uh, certainly some of these ideas uh, resonate and sound similar to those you've heard. We we have all heard that giving is a gift. Uh, Doesn't it feel good to give to people? But did you notice... What Paul says about the Macedonians as he opens up the section of the letter. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let's take a moment to reflect on that. Because that sounds strange. That sounds a little crazy. The math really doesn't seem to add up. You know, in fact, it sounds like bad math. I would like to say that it sounds like new math, but we have at least one math teacher here, so I won't go that far. It sounds like bad math. Now, one of one of the my kids' favorite shows right now is the show called Number Blocks. So we love this show. The kids are learning, and we actually like to watch it too. So if you'll forgive me, I want to try to put this into a math problem for you and to see if you can follow the, uh, the strangeness of the logic here. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals what? Now, before we answer the what question... Yeah, I, 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 need, I need to work through the, the slides on this really carefully, so we'll start that over. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals... <laughs> Overflowing joy <laughs> plus extreme poverty equals what? Grace is doing a great job back there, by the way. This is a hard slide. Uh, yeah. This is, I told her this was going to be a hard slide to work through. Equals what? Well, we could read the answer, but let's just pause on this for, for a minute because these are two things that, that don't seem to go together. They kind of seem like opposites in a way, don't they? <clears throat> so let's go ahead and put the numbers up there. I, I would put like a plus one for overflowing joy and a negative one for extreme poverty, but it's overflowing and it's extreme. So I'll use a little bit of a bigger number. We'll go with uh, plus five for overflowing joy and a negative five for extreme poverty. Now, if you add a plus five and a negative five, that ends up being zero. It kind of, uh, it kind of ends up being a wash and maybe we could call that contentment. Um, but we're missing a few pieces to this puzzle. And the first piece of the puzzle that we are missing is that Paul says that this is happening in the midst of a very severe trial. Now, the very severe trial, it might be the poverty that they were experiencing, but... For the benefit of the doubt, let's assume that the very severe trial was something in addition to the poverty that they were experiencing. So that kind of doubles up on the negative experiences, right? All right, so let's redo our math. Plus 5, minus 5, 
minus 5 equals minus 5. I can't believe I had to think about that. So now we're in the hole. We don't even have contentment yet. We, we have a negative. But we're missing one more piece. And that piece is what it actually equals. Overflowing joy in a very severe trial plus extreme poverty does not equal a bad experience. It does not equal contentment. It doesn't zero out. What it does do is it wells up into rich generosity. Rich generosity. That's a positive experience. Okay, well, let's assume that the joy is really overflowing. If it's really overflowing, it'll meet the very severe trial and it'll meet the extreme poverty and it'll zero out. But in order to end up with something positive at the end, it has to be really, really overflowing, which is our last slide. Bingo. Give Grace a round of applause, huh? It's way more complicated than it looks back there. Overflowing joy. Overflowing joy in the midst of a very severe trial. Added to extreme poverty adds up to rich generosity. And here's what we can learn from that. A little math problem for you. Joy was so abundant that it superseded all of their trials. Here's the results of all this, and I don't want you to miss this. Number one, the churches in Macedonia, they begged Paul for the opportunity to give. They begged Paul for the opportunity to give. (laughs) Number two, their response exceeded Paul's expectations because they gave not according to their means, but beyond their means. They scraped the very bottom of the barrel and they begged to do it. They begged to do it. Where did this adventurous, dare I say wild, generosity come from? Well, Paul tells us. The Macedonian churches, in verse 5, he says, gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Us being the Apostle Paul and his, his companions, uh, representative of the the church, the body of Christ. Don't miss that word gave. On the surface, this passage appears to be about money. Uh, Pardon the pun, but that would be selling this passage short. Before we ever give a cent, before they ever gave a cent, they gave something far more important than money, They gave themselves. They gave themselves to the Lord first. And then by the will of God, they gave themselves to the sacred community God sends into the world to exhibit and embody his life. 
Here's why this simple and profound act preceded and empowered all important, preceded and empowered all decisions around money. When we give ourselves to the Lord, we give ourselves to a life filled with uncertainties. We aren't sure how long he'll preserve us or how he'll guide us. We aren't sure what trials we'll face. We aren't sure uh, if we'll face persecution, when we'll face persecution, how bad that persecution will be. We aren't sure when we'll be ashamed. We aren't sure about so many things in this life. It's filled with uncertainties. We can't say how the Lord will lead us. We can say, however, two things. That life, the life beyond this next life, is, is beyond our imaginations. And that gives us hope. And we can also say with some certainty that if, if we are faithful to him, we will be stretched. We'll be stretched, we'll be pulled. A lot will be asked of us in difficult situations. So as good as, as, good as comfort is, and as grateful to God we should be for the comforts that we have in our lives, as good as all of those things are, don't miss this. We are not made for comforts. We are not made for comforts. In fact, if we drown ourselves in comforts, we risk losing our purpose. Our purpose is to, to walk with God into the unknown, to take risks, to create beautiful things at our own cost, and gladly be a part of his creative work. And this is why generosity is so important. It affords us the opportunity to stay fresh on this adventure with God, whether we are rich or whether we are poor. It affords us the opportunity to stay fresh. It keeps our, our relationship with him from turning stagnant because we're always trusting for what's next instead of, instead of relying on what we can see only. Spending ourselves first on the Lord and by God's will, his people enables us to enter into generosity as an adventure to enjoy. But because I like to simplify things, would it be okay if I coined a new word? Spending ourselves first on the Lord and by God's will, his people, enables us to enter into adventurosity. Adventurosity. Yeah, it sounds a little dumb, but hey, you'll probably remember it better, right? Adventurosity. Whenever I was traveling home, my... Uh, from seminary, my aunt would have a place to stay. I had left that meeting with Jess, and uh, the, the check that I had given her was still on my mind as I had pulled into the driveway to drop my luggage off at, at her house. And as I was pulling in, she was backing out of the garage, about to go on her way somewhere else. She stopped, she got out to greet me, and she handed me a blue bag. I can't remember what it was for. It must have been my birthday recently or, or something. But I opened the bag and I found a book in there. Uh, it was a Star Wars cookbook. <laughs> she knew that as a kid I loved Star Wars. And she knew that as an adult I did not know how to cook. So it was kind of the perfect gift. There was something else in there. 
There was a check for $50. Not kidding. $50 right there. I I am tempted to look... I'm, I'm tempted to look at instances like these as coincidences. I have been tempted, even in my life of faith. Because I'm kind of the prove it, I have kind of the prove it to me kind of faith. But I don't anymore. I understand stats and probability. I also believe in the God who invites me into relationship and takes us on adventures with him when our hearts are open to it. So even, even if events like those happen to be the result of probability that God allows in his divine plan, I choose to believe differently in those matters. I choose to believe the latter. And that makes me see the world differently. It enables me to take more risks and watch what God will do along the way. So what's your next step in adventurosity. What will your next step in adventurosity look like? Let me offer just a few suggestions, a few ideas. Wherever you are, take a financial step. Take a financial step. Uh, maybe, maybe this will be your time to give for the first time, just to break the ice. Or perhaps for some of you, this is an opportunity for you to give regularly in order to build a habit. No matter how much you give, just make a decision to, to give regularly. Perhaps for some of you, it will be an opportunity to, to give proportionally. The tithe is something that was practiced by ancient Israelites uh, before the, during the time of Jesus. And the tithe literally means 10%. It literally means 10%. So for farmers, they would put aside 10% of their crops and they would bring it to the temple. And for, and for shepherds, uh, they would put aside 10% of their livestock. If it was like half of a sheep, I don't know how they figured that out. I'm sure there was a way to figure that out. Proportionally. Now, the tithe, that has often formed a baseline for many people throughout uh, the history of the Jews and, and, and for the church as well, but maybe that's something for you to aspire to. Maybe that's something for you to, to reach for. And maybe for you, it's not proportional giving that you're being called to, but it's, it's abundant giving. Maybe that's the next step for you. To be an abundant giver, you don't need to be wealthy. You just need to have an open heart. Abundant giving looks a little bit different for everybody. Now, for some of you, perhaps you have been burned by the church. Burned by a church, uh, whatever. Maybe you've had a bad experience giving financially to the church. I want to, I want to offer a step for you, too. Maybe the next step for you is to just give to a charity. To start building into this adventure with God that's apart from the church. Maybe that's a first step for you. But if money is not an issue, perhaps now is a good time and a good season for you to look at your budget, sit down with your spouse maybe, if you have a spouse, and look at, look at the budget together and, and try to give aspirationally. That's something that Amy and I do maybe once or twice a year. We look at our budget, we, we look at our needs, and we see are there ways where we can give 
more. And, and every time we look at our budget and see what we're able to give, it gives us joy that we're able to give. And when we're able to give more, it gives us more joy in that experience too. Secondly, invest your time. Invest your time. For some of us, money is not an issue. Money is not an issue, but time is an issue. And time is more important and more relevant in your life than money. Chances are, uh, you are, those of you out there are full-time schooling, full-time working, full-time parenting, or maybe you're even full-time retired. Whatever full-time thing you're doing, chances are you don't have a lot of time for anything else. It doesn't leave a lot left over, even when you are retired, as funny as that works. That, that sounds, it tends, to, it tends to work out that way. But what would it look like to spend a little bit more of yourself with your time? Spend a little bit more of yourself on the Lord with your time. What would that look like? I often think about this situation, uh, and I wish I could have had. I wish I could have a do-over. I remember graduating from seminary and moving away from Dallas and looking for a looking for a, a church that I could call home. And I, I really respected the preaching at the at the local E Free Church, and I loved that they were on mission. So I set up an appointment with the senior pastor because I I wanted to serve. I had certain ideas about serving when I came into that, but I, I wanted to serve. I wanted to use some of the gifts, maybe some of the knowledge that I had gained in seminary to bless other people. And after a couple months, it was a big church. We, I finally got on the calendar. We sat down and I said, hey, this is my story. Um, is there any way that I could fit in and, and serve here? And, and the first thing he said to me is, you know, we don't really have room in our budget. And, and I waved him off. I said, I'm not looking for not looking to join your staff or to be hired. I just want to use my gifts uh, to bless people here. And over time, that turned out to be a really meaningful experience. I made wonderful connections, and and God was able to use my time there. But if I could have a do-over, and I do think about this a lot, I would do that differently. I don't know that I would go to the senior pastor with ideas about using my gifts from seminary or whatever. I think I would find a place in the church that had the greatest need and start there and let God open up doors for me along the way. From this vantage point now, seven years as a pastor, I see things differently and I look at the needs in the sound booth. I look at the needs in Kids Connection and if God ever, for whatever reason, called me to step down as a pastor, those would be some of the first places that I would go. Because I would be spending myself on the Lord, not for things that I want to do, but just for the opportunity of blessing and being a part of these humble, beautiful acts of service that build and impact people more than I could ever know in the moment. Those are the places that I would go first. Those are the places I would go first. A few years ago, we did a survey. We kind of did an analysis, I should say, of, of service at Christ Church. And we were blessed to find out that 70% of people at Christ Church serve at least once a month here at the church. 
And that, that is so encouraging because in most churches, it's, it's 10% of people who are doing 100% of the work. Uh, that number was really phenomenal. We as a church can also take a step forward. We can all take a step forward by, by looking at the needs and, and seeing how God can bless us, grace us with the opportunity of giving as we look at giving, not as a duty, but as an opportunity. As we look at giving as adventurosity, an opportunity to, to grow our relationship with God, to trust him more. Now we all know that time is hard. And there are several reasons why we don't find ourselves serving in the church. And sometimes it's we just don't feel qualified. We just don't feel qualified for whatever thing or opportunity might be out there. And the truth is, there are so many people who didn't feel qualified all throughout Scripture and all throughout church history who God, whom God has made qualified in this beautiful act of transformation and reliance upon him. Sometimes we're just embarrassed or ashamed to do certain kinds of work. We don't want to carry a hot chocolate to a car. That doesn't seem befitting of us. But God can do powerful things in those moments too. Uh, Some of the people who are sometimes least inclined to do something like that are some of the people who can make the greatest impact. And we all know the stretch of time. I have come to believe as an adult that there are really two seasons of life. There's the busy season of life, and then there's the too busy season of life. Only two. And that's our favorite word in this culture right now. How are you doing? Busy. <laughs> I hate hearing it come out of my mouth, but it always comes out of my mouth. Because that's how I view life so much. Busy, busy, busy. We will never not be busy. There is always something demanding our attention, whether it's something as simple as that Netflix show that I have to catch up on or something like work that spills over into, into life and takes away from family time. We will always be too busy. So if we don't draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to choose to give of my time and of my life, I'm going to choose to spend it on the Lord and go on this adventure with him. Chances are, it just is not going to happen. It's never going to happen. But what could happen in our lives if we did? What could happen if we made a decision in the midst of our busyness to say, I'm going to serve, not because of duty, not because I have to, but because I am so invested in this adventure with the Lord that I want to see what he does. I want to see how he uses it. I want to see how he stretches me. I want to not sit in the corner and try to carve out life according to my expectations to make everything fit perfectly. But I want to step into the unknown and see something beautiful. What could God do? Lastly, and this is important because so many of us here really were already stretched and maybe we're giving to our capacity. So this is important, whether it's money or time. Whatever you do, give yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. If you can only give a little, give a little with your whole heart. Give a little with your whole heart. If you don't have any time 
spend the time that is devoted elsewhere to work, to time with family, to whatever you're doing already, spend it wholeheartedly as devoted to the Lord. Even when we have nothing, we can have everything when, when our lives are fully spent on him. Spending ourselves first on the Lord and by God's will, his people enables us to enter into adventurosity. We were made for more than comfort. Life that is enjoyed the, mo- the very most will be life that is spent. How will it feel at the very end to look back and know that you held nothing back, that there was nothing in your life that was unspent. That's a life that he calls us to today, and that's a life that he enables us to live through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, giving is so hard when we feel like we have nothing to give. I pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, right now, wherever people are at, that you would help help us unhinge from this belief that giving is a duty or it's an expectation and help us to see through your Holy Spirit that giving is an opportunity to step into something new and fresh to revitalize our relationship with God and to trust him for bigger things. Help us to see our lives in the place that they are in this world and in this universe for what they are and help us to expand the boundaries of our vision, Lord, so that we could draw closer to you and take the most that we possibly can from the life that you have come to offer us. In Jesus' name, amen.